Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Something wonderful is coming on September 28th. From the producers of the world's largest social advertising event, Smartly.io invites you to a new event, the Social Advertising Wonderland, a place to tap into your creativity. Wonderland is a live event, streamed from both New York and Helsinki, straight to your office or living room. You'll see sessions from the largest social media platforms, brands like Hershey, Discovery, and Hyatt, and a special performance from our host, drag all-star Ginger Min. Visit smartly.io slash adweek to register. That's smartly.io slash adweek to register for free. Hey, this is David. Before we get started this week, I uh, just wanted to remind you, if you have your own podcast or you work on a podcast or you work for a company with a podcast, uh, we have our Adweek Podcast of the Year Awards uh, open for entries right now. It's a super fun award show. I've learned about so many amazing shows. Uh, you can go back and check out the last few year's winners on adweek.com, but uh, entries are open for the 2021 awards. You can go to podcastoftheyearawards.com or just Google Adweek Podcast of the Year Awards and uh, get those nominations in by October 4th. Uh, really looking forward to it. I hope to see your entries this year. Hear them? Hear your entries. And uh, so appreciate it. And now on to this week's episode. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, berries, cream, because in the end, Everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor for Adweek. And with me, as always, is Shannon Miller, our creative and innovation editor. Shannon, how are you doing? I'm good, my favorite historian. How are you? Wait, no, we had your famous favorite historian on the last few weeks. Now you just get just get me. The, the That's true. After Robert Clarod is definitely David Greiner. Uh, the only colleague we can think of that we would love to have as much as Robert Clarod, our ad history guru, who was on the last two episodes. If you did not get to check those out, you definitely should, because Robert's the best, and he had some really amazing conversations. But... Our other favorite, Jess Ferris is here, Director of Audience Engagement at Adweek, overseer of all of our social channels, among many other things. Jess, it is always a pleasure to have you on the pod. I am delighted to be here, and especially for this topic. Yes. Um, Shannon, what are we talking about today? <laughs> we are diving into one of the most classic um, iterations of WTF, WTF advertising, um, the origin story of a little lad who loves berries and cream. <laughs> this you is know, a I, very traumatic topic for me, but I'm very excited to talk about it. I will just start by saying um, this spot has like a special place in my heart because it came out, the one we're going to be talking about today, officially called Bus Station from Starburst, uh, created by TBWH Shiat Day, New York, in 2007. That was the year I started writing for Adweek. So I don't think I actually covered this ad, but it is from this really amazing era. And probably the reason I was hired to start writing for Adweek is because creative was coming out left and right. And the ads that were coming out from this era, the 06 to, you know, honestly through 2010, um, just some of the best ads ever, ever made. They were hilarious. Uh, I think one of the things that we're going to talk about today is the fact YouTube began to exist. I think YouTube was launched in 05, uh, but it was acquired the next year by Google and then became started to become the YouTube we know and love today. Uh, but I really do think that that started this ability to share ads. It's something we all take for granted now, right? That if I see a funny ad, I can send it to you in Slack, on Twitter, wherever. Um, we didn't have any of that in like the 05 days when I was starting in advertising. If you saw a funny ad, it would have to be like, here is this microsite to go to <laughs> like <laughs> at, at best at best you had that um bmw films which is like this really famous uh example of branded content that won a ton of awards and inspired i think the creation of the uh 
of the Titanium Awards, uh, the Titanium Lions at Cannes, um, it, there was no way to share it. It was these huge HD videos and social media wasn't a thing yet. So you had to get it on DVD. <laughs> you had to get it on a disc and like send it to people. It was so weird. Uh, so this ad came out in 07 uh, and it was kind of this height of really uh, amazing creativity coming to YouTube in ways that people wanted to recreate, to embrace, to have fun with, to remix. Um, and, and it led very directly to the Old Spice work, uh, the man your man could smell like that was created by the same people who created a lot of these other ads, uh, the Skittles work, um, and Starburst and things. A lot of those folks went on to Old Spice, went on to other places and really kind of defined a new generation of advertising. So anyway, with all that said, we're here to talk about the little ad who love berries and cream. Let's start for context by revisiting the original, the ad. Uh, there are a few different cuts, uh, but here is the one I think that ran the most. Uh, and we, to set the stage, since you can't see it, uh, it has two youngish guys at a bus station when they are approached by an odd character. And thus begins the storyline of uh, Bus Station. Here you go. You tried these berries and cream Starburst? Pardon me? What kind of Starburst did you just say? Uh, berries. Um, and berries. Berries and what else? And cream. Berries and cream! Oh, hurrah! Berries and cream, berries and cream. I'm a little lad who loves berries and cream. Berries and cream, berries and cream. I'm a little lad who loves berries and cream. So, just what has happened? Give us, give us a lay of the, the TikTok land. You, you run our... Adweek TikTok, you have a very uh, large and robust personal presence on TikTok. So I'm sure you have noticed a little bit of berries and cream on your timeline in oh. the last Oh, few my weeks. goodness. Uh, all across the Adweek timeline in particular, um, the lad, the haircut, the accompanying dance have been revived, remixed, reimagined over the past two weeks across hashtag berries and cream talk. And the actor who starred in it has also joined, and I, I think we'll talk about him a little bit, or I'm sorry, about them a little bit later. Um, the creatives, you know, behind the campaign, as you were saying, said that, like, even at the time, the plan was always for fans to riff on the concept, uh, which is why it came with that tutorial video as well. Um, but that's exactly what's happened now that it's been revived on TikTok. The tag, hashtag berries and cream, has 425 million views on TikTok uh, as of earlier today. And then berries and cream talk. And yes, there's like there's a whole community of TikTok now dedicated to berries and cream. And that that hashtag has 4.7 million views now. Um, over 31,000 videos use the version of the song that we played uh, just a minute ago, or the version of the the ad. And then, you know, much like a good chunk of TikTok, lots of them are recreations of the song and dance. Uh, there are mashups of other famous songs, like one with ABBA, and then one with uh, My Chemical Romance that's surprisingly frustrating and, and annoying. And then there's a mashup <laughs> with WAP that I absolutely love. Uh, should we listen to at least the ABBA and WAP version? Oh my god, yes. All right. Let's do it. And like it doesn't stop there. We've also got, you know, another one bites the dust and tons of others. And a lot of these, like they focus on the haircut, um, including the one in which the original actor first appears. Um, and then that like original, they'll, they'll make them about the like original look with the page boy, page boy style haircut. 
um, at the frilly collar. So that's that's a whole thing as well. And these are now considered, quote unquote, berries and cream core. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Oh, man. Cottage core can just get the hell out. It's all berries and cream now. Uh, yeah, this um, this ad, there's a reason we're dedicating a whole episode to a 14-year-old ad because this has been so wild, even by the standards of, um, like our, our colleague Eva pointed out, uh, that the Home Depot jingle, right, that came out in 2013 became like a viral meme hit in 2019 on TikTok. So, you know, branded content certainly has has kind of driven these these trends. Um, but I will say uh, s- several people have asked me, like, why did this just start to blow up now? Um, the closest I can get to a real starting point of this new wave, berries and cream has never gone away in the sense that the little ad has been on social media. People have been referencing this for, you know, 14 years. There's some people have never dropped it. It is a it is an earworm that you can never get out of your head. In January of this year, Justin McElroy, the podcaster, literally posted the dance tutorial video, which we'll talk about, was made by the agency as a way of generating viral content way back in 2007. He posted the the dance tutorial of how to do the little lad dance and said, let's make this a trending sound. Like, go nuts with this, please. And it took a while. You know, people did, uh, but it took. Uh, nine months before people, it really hit that that thing. Uh, the numbers you were citing, when I started writing this article, there were 300 million views on the berries and cream hashtag uh, or across the, the major hashtags. And what'd you say? It's at now 400 and something? 425 million as of Friday morning. Yeah. And the time it took me to write the article, 120 million more views uh, were generated by this. And so, yeah, so we wrote a uh, pretty exhaustive deep dive into where this ad came from. I interviewed uh, three of the head creatives, uh, all of whom are are quite well known in the industry now. Jerry Graff, uh, who eventually went on after TBWA, went on to create his own ad agency, uh, BFG or Barton F. Graff. Uh, and then now is it Slap Global? Jerry's a, a legend. Uh, that's not a phrase I throw around a lot, a creative legend, but... Um, he was already an executive creative director on this spot. Uh, talked to him, talked to Brandon Davis, who we'll hear a little bit from as the copywriter who actually wrote the spot. Talked to Ian Reichenthal, who was a creative director that Brandon had to sell on this idea. So if you want the uh, the full version, you can uh, go check that out. Uh, but and, and like I said, we will hear a little bit from my conversation with Brandon in a bit about kind of – I think it's it's an obvious question of like did they – are they surprised? How do they feel about this thing blowing up? And pretty much everybody I talked to was who worked on the ad is like, I mean, it's weird. It's weird. But like that happened when this ad was launched too. You know, it had its moment on early YouTube where people were doing the same thing and going nuts with it in like, I would say kind of the something awful slash early Reddit days of, of, you know, content getting passed around. Uh, but first off, I, my brain is overflowing with berries and cream knowledge after all these interviews and all this research I've done. So I will put it out to you. Uh, Shannon, what do you want to know about <laughs> the berries and cream, the little lad? Oh, oh God. I just, I just want to know who's responsible. Um, like, you have to understand like in 2007, I was in college and the cultural explosion of this one character was unhinged. Like, the the amount of like Halloween was hell. It was awful for two years straight because every every man, every woman felt like they had to be the little lad with berries and cream. So it was just like tra- traipsing down the street full of parties where you just hear this constant chorus of like high pitched. I'm a little lad. It was awful. Great for the brand. Awful for me. You're just like. <laughs> random like referee like in just some very basic costume everyone was the little lad and you know history will repeat itself this halloween right like that's the it's destiny i fear it's coming back and i i am happy for them and not um all that stoked for me um but (laughs) it, it does speak to 
just the power of a mascot that you can cling to, like Flo, Lil Sweet, who's my personal favorite, um, the little lad. Lil like, Sweet, it's a good reference. Oh, I love me some Lil Sweet. So it's it's what was that? Really di- that was like Diet Dr Pepper. I think was Lil Sweet. Yeah, it was like Lil Sweet. It was like a Diet Dr. Like no one wants Diet Dr Pepper on a regular day, but Lil Sweet like made it. Like, he was a this, famous singer, right? Like in real Justin life, Justin Guarini. Yeah, Justin Guarini, the runner up of the first season of American Idol. He was so was, like he he was so effectively transformed into this prince like character that I did not recognize him. Someone had to tell me, "Oh, that's Justin Guarini." I was like, "Oh my god!" Fit him like a glove. Best lace front wig. It was amazing. It was an entire that was like for me part of the echelon of like WTF advertising. It, as but this really led it. I I'm interested in knowing the what was the moment in the, the pitch that like clenched this as a green light because we've heard of like different stories of like moments in like the back of a pitch making it to the forefront of a campaign is this a case of that i mean what's fascinating to me about that this is a classic example of a lesson that agencies you know it's hard to even say that every agency needs to learn this because it's it goes to show the value of having the hard conversations so that you can have the easy conversations later. Uh, for TBWA Shia Day, New York, that was Skittles. Convincing Skittles to be weird. So Skittles had for a long time been advertising, but it was like the way Jerry Graff described it, it would be like, it'd be like a wizard. Some of y'all may remember this. Like he says it's a specific ad, but like a wizard throwing a Skittle into the ocean. And I don't know. It's just this kind of like silly Saturday morning type stuff. And that was it. That was the ads. And it sold Skittles until it didn't, right? And I think it was either he or Ian Reichenthal who told me, you know, just that the internet aged kids, you know, that a 13-year-old in 2007 was not a 13-year-old in the 1990s. Like that they they were 18. <laughs> like they had, been, <laughs> they had been aged by the access to information. And he said they liked darker humor. They wanted more adult humor. And so they decided to make an ad, you know, to make ads that would be funny for adults and funny for, uh, you know, for kids as well. And for Skittles, that really came to a head with uh, the campaign that I think most of the Skittles ads you think about from that period, Pinata and a few others, but one called Touch, which we can revisit because the audio is fantastic, e- even though it's a much better visual gag. Uh, but this was a 2006, maybe early 2007 Skittles ad about a, a guy with Midas Touch powers where everything he touched turns to Skittles. You can imagine that ad with any other brand or any other era and it would be this fun romp right like of going around turning everything into skittles and everyone's happy no (laughs) jerry Jerry graff told me he only gave one piece of guidance on that ad and he said it has to be sad (laughs) (laughs) oh i remember it and it was it was so good ben So let's let's just to revisit, uh, let's listen to the audio. And again, you don't get the visual punchline at the end of the ad, which is so good, where the guy hits his desk and it turns into Skittles. And I really do think that is the absolute best part of the ad. Because, of course, like you're thinking in real life, if this dude would just never touch anything. But the gag, of course, is that he keeps touching stuff <laughs> all these years after getting this power. Let's listen back to Touch. Again, this is uh, this one's for Skittles from the same team that uh, generally that kind of went on to work on some of these other stuff. Here you go. Hey, Tim, show Joel how everything you touch turns into Skittles. That's awesome. Is it awesome? Well, you can't hold your newborn baby boy in your arms. Did you feed and dress yourself this morning? I didn't. I met a man on the bus today. I shook his hand. He'll never see his family again. I guess that's pretty awesome. Excuse me. Touch the rainbow. Taste the rainbow. So when... T, you know, TBWA Shia Day went to pitch this this campaign, these ideas, this dark ass Skittles stuff. Mars, the parent company, was like, "No, no, 
they went through six rounds of creative back and forth with the client, which is a, even by client standards, that's quite a bit. And then the client said, you know what? We're killing it. This is not going to run. And they had even shot it. They had filmed the ads and they were like, no, we can't put this out there. And so the agency went behind their back and did some testing, I believe at a, like a mall in, um, in L.A. or something. They tested the ads with real consumers and they loved it. They loved the Skittles work. And so the, I guess they showed that to the client. The client was like, all right, let's give it a shot. And to this, Skittles sales exploded. Uh, these are considered some of the best ads of all time. Among ad people, if you're talking to someone who works in advertising and they don't think the Skittles touch is one of the best ads ever made, they are wrong. You need to talk to different ad people. <laughs> um, it is one of the best ads ever made. Uh, so then the client was like, wow, you guys can do no wrong. Here's Starburst. And, and they met no friction on Starburst. So like they're... They get this assignment for the new berries and cream flavor, and Jerry Graff said like that he immediately read it in a British accent. The second they got just we're launching berries, it's like berries and cream, and then they pointed out that it's actually creme. <laughs> if you look at the packaging, it's C R E with oh little accent Graff. Uh, they do not say creme in the ad or anything, but yeah, it's so they got it and they were like, oh, so fancy Starburst. <laughs> so they they. They wrote 60, uh, Brandon Davis and his partner wrote 60 versions of the script uh, of this ad. I don't know what the other 59 were like. I don't know how many of them involved a little ad, but in the end, they went with Bus Station. Uh, and the way they described the conversation to me was like going back and forth between the creative directors and the writers, just like, so it's a little lad. Yeah. <laughs> but he's he's in his 30s. And they're like, <laughs> yes. He's like... And why is he in a bus station? Like, because you expect him to be in a convenience store. <laughs> <laughs> and and they like the thought was it was actually really well thought out. They were like, okay, if you're gonna have a run in with this arrested development dude, like this this clearly unhinged weirdo, where are you gonna have a run in with a clearly unhinged weirdo? And they're like, no offense to Greyhound, it's gonna be at the bus station. Like, you put that in an ad, that's the least weird part of the whole ad, right? <laughs> Is that some weirdo comes up to you at the bus station and just starts singing a song and dancing? That's that's just normal, and so that just happens every day. That scenario, <laughs> not at all strange. Uh, just the fact that he's uh, some stunted Victorian lad or wherever this kid's from, this little Lord Fauntleroy thing, and um, so yeah. So then, and then the client was like, "Wait, let me get this straight. Uh, he's 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 in his thirties. He's not a kid." And they were like, "Yeah," and they're like. But he says the product name like 10 times. And they were like, yes. And they said, we love it. We love it. <laughs> Great. Go for it. Love it. And he, to, to the point where I think Brandon, the writer, even said that there's a, a kind of an urban myth that, that the assignment was to write an ad where you say the name as many times as possible. He's like, no, we just, we just thought it was funny. And so, but the client loved it. They were like, yeah, hey, it says berries and cream a lot. Um, and so, yeah, the client approval process was instant. And in fact, the client was not on set for the shoot. Like, let me tell you, that is what we call in advertising the dream. <laughs> Just do it. I don't care if you turn shit into Skittles. And so they, uh, so they film Bus Station. Um, the other quick anecdote I have to share, I, I did get into this a little in the article, but I think it's great, is that the costume designer is trying to find the best thing to put this little lad in, right? And then they dig up this costume. No, I, no one I talk to knows from where. Some Warner Brothers storage from like the 1940s. It was faded. And they were like, we found this. We don't know if it's from like a, a, like a, a munchkin or some, some kind of, because it was small. It was like a size 22 waist. Uh, I, I am a, I'm a pretty skinny man. I think I have like a 34 waist. I mean, that's, that's a small set of hips right there. And the actor was like, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they dug up the costume. They sent a picture of it to Jerry Graff back home and were like, we're thinking about this costume. And he was like, well, what else would we use? That's <laughs> That's obviously it. It's the only possible costume. And so when they were describing the all the kismet that kind of went into making this ad a thing, is they were like, 
I mean, we ended up with an amazing actor, Jack Fervor, uh, choreographer, dancer. He's, a, he's an American uh, who could, of course, have fun with the accent. Um, and who could fit into this bizarrely small, half-child, half-adult outfit. Um, and so that was kind of the last-minute change. And then the next morning, uh, it, Gavin Cutler, I believe, was the editor, and just the next morning, literally walked out, had done five or six edits of all the raw footage, and was like, just told the the creatives, instant classic. <laughs> and they were like, he knew long before any of the rest of us were just like, I don't know about this. Um <laughs> But he was just like, nope, it's, it's going to be a winner. Um, and the, the editing, I have to give Color a lot of credit. Uh, we don't talk about the editing much. The There's two versions of the ad. There's the ones where he like keeps interrupting them when they're like trying to tell him what flavor berries. Yes, berries. And what else? <laughs> and then there's another version where he just walks up and just starts doing a song and dance. Both of them have really great editing. But I think the song and dance one especially, there's just so many awkward pauses the the genius of that bus stop ad is them lingering long enough for us to see the little lad do a threatening high kick (laughs) right before the title card that it's it's a great ad up until that moment and then that's when it turns brilliant (laughs) and that's what makes it a true bus station run-in right if you're not being (laughs) exactly if you're not being threatened at the end (laughs) (laughs) you don't think you're gonna end up in a fight or dead that was not a true greyhound <laughs> effortlessly kicks up to that dude's face too like that is a that is a kick and the guy the other actor that's getting his face like almost kicked is just like huh just has this, you could watch that ad a hundred times and find something new every time and there's really not a whole lot to it uh, but but you could just keep finding new stuff something wonderful is coming on september 28th From the producers of the world's largest social advertising event, Smartly.io invites you to a new event, the Social Advertising Wonderland, a place to tap into your creativity. Wonderland is a live event, streamed from both New York and Helsinki, straight to your office or living room. You'll see sessions from the largest social media platforms, brands like Hershey, Discovery, and Hyatt, and a special performance from our host, drag all-star Ginger Min. Visit smartly.io slash adweek to register. That's smartly.io slash adweek to register for free. So let's go, as I mentioned, um, talk to uh, Brandon Davis, the the writer. Let's listen to some of the interview. Um, Specifically, this is the part where he's talking about kind of how the virality, the reason none of them are necessarily shocked that it's done well on TikTok is because they wrote this for early YouTube like this mm-hmm. era of YouTube where you did not find polished clips on YouTube. You found people making fun of ads. Uh, the other one I'll throw out there, and I mention maybe surprisingly often because it's one of my favorites, even if everyone else has forgotten it, is Nanorpus, uh, the Super Bowl ad for Denny's, where Denny's did a campaign making fun of how other restaurants were too focused on kids and they wanted to have a serious breakfast. So they had Burt Reynolds uh, voicing these ads where it was like, it's time for a serious breakfast. But the beginnings were always these silly things making fun of um, kid, kid-focused kid restaurants. And they had one of this banana octopus called the Nanorpus. Do, you, do either of you remember the Nanorpus? <laughs> now I do. I had apparently blocked that memory out, but here it is. <laughs> so the Nanorpus, like... Um, came out at this perfect time, this same era of early YouTube. And it's just the beginning of him, you know, this dancing, very low budget. You can see the fishing line, like, holding up its tentacles. And it's just like, you can call me the Nanapus, Nanapus. <laughs> and and then, so that's it. It plays, like, one line. Some people had so much fun with that thing on YouTube, posting pictures of their kids. Like, I remember one of a baby watching Nanorpus, and every time it would switch to the Burt Reynolds, like Denny's part of the ad. Because remember, it's supposed to be making fun of Nanorpus. Nanorpus is supposed to be the villain. (laughs) (laughs) And and this baby would freak out every time Nanorpus, it would be like, Nanorpus! And then the mom would just have to rewind it, and she was like, I've shown him this Nanorpus 800 times. And just never gets tired of it. Someone sat down at a piano and wrote the entire Nanorpus song. Like, like went ahead and wrote like the next three bar, you know, like the next section and a chorus. And I was just like, I love the internet. 
this this is great. And that's exactly what happened with it. So let's listen to Brandon talk a little about that and just about the the reception, I guess. Because again, people I, I think some people think this ad just kind of quietly appeared and then went away to Shannon's point. It was not quiet. It did quite well with its target audience of like young, you know, college age and younger uh, and teens. It was well received. So let's listen to a little bit of that. That was the the early days of YouTube. And, and back then, companies and agencies didn't put work on YouTube. Like, they just didn't. It was, you would have your website or there'd be microsites. So, like, Starburst would put their stuff on their own website. And then it would be out there in the world. So, when we made an ad, one of the things that, you know, and this is us, that whole group at Shia, you would see how quickly was it posted on YouTube and how many people posted it. That was just what we always wanted to see the next day. And berries and cream exploded. I mean, it was, it was nuts. There were, there were so many people posting it and, and first one, first one, no, but here's the best one. If it could do that, then it only makes sense that it would do it now because it has those same things that people look for. Like, does it speak to them in some way? And then, I mean, at the time people would do their own little versions and that was just like kind of random things on YouTube, but like the whole point of TikTok is parody. So it, it makes sense that that might be a thing that people would play with again and why it would speak to them. So I don't know, Jess, is there anything else that you're curious or that, that you would like us to get into on the berries and cream lad? Yeah, I would, I would like to know, um, how much do you know about the actor Jack Ferber? Do you know any more than you've already covered? Um, Jack Ferber was, um, I believe is, is still a choreographer and actor. Um, I did see a TikTok video that said, I just found out that the little lad is a professor at my college. <laughs> it was a woman <laughs> talking about that realization. Uh, I did reach out to Jack for this article um, and did not hear back, unfortunately, although it seems like uh, they are um, pretty popular. Uh, they, I was also not able to confirm, because I did not hear back, whether Jack is the one doing the real little lad videos on both TikTok and Cameo. Uh, but Cameo, pretty good about confirming identities, right, Jess? Yeah, I'm fairly sure that that is, I, that they would not, that he would not be on, or I'm sorry, I'm pretty sure that they would not be on there if uh, if they were not the right, the real deal. Cameo is pretty strict about that. So, yeah, and I mean, seemed like uh, after all these years uh, that... Jack had uh, finally decided to kind of embrace the character. I do think this is the kind of character you probably have mixed feelings about, right? Like when you take a job and it does well and part of you just wants to move on and you want the world to move on and be like, yes, I'm also a celebrated choreographer and dancer. Not right. so much just the little lad. Um, but I will say this about casting. They... Um, and here's going back to kind of, I don't even think I ever answered Shannon's really good question about what what was the moment that really sold this. They, so Brandon had written these 60 scripts for an ad and he read the little ad version to his creative directors. And uh, what really sold it was that he sang the song. He was the first little ad, right? Uh, so Brandon as the copywriter was like, sang it, and then went up a register for the second version, sang the, the higher octave. The octave! <laughs> that that began with, with the script reading. That's not on the script. That was just something he kind of winged in the performance of it. And Ian Reichenthal, the creative director at the time, was just like, that's what sold me. And in fact, not only is that what sold me on the ad, because it was funny on paper, but it was so much funnier when he performed it. He said, from that moment on, that, that one script changed the way that we presented creative. Uh, because it used to be you'd read the script and be like, oh, that's kind of funny. But a lot of jokes just don't land if you're not hearing mm. them out loud. I will tell you, as a former copywriter, a lot of jokes are also killed by reading out loud. Uh, I used to write radio scripts uh, every, you know, pretty often, and they are very funny in writing. And then you read them out loud and you realize just what what a pig pile of words you just made. Um, and what a jumble. And it's not funny and you don't leave yourself enough breathing room between the gags. Uh, so, yeah, reading it out loud to other people, performing it, he said that that was a game changer for them. But So they went into casting, and they found the casting was the hardest part. They thought client review would be difficult. No, client review was instantaneous. We love it. Um, casting, seven rounds. 
seven rounds of casting. Again, I can tell you from my years as a creative, casting is not is not fun. Uh, it sounds like it'd be fun. It's fun for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> like listening to dozens of people, if not hundreds of people, read through your lines, making you realize how bad your jokes actually are <laughs> when you and you hear other people reading them uh, poorly. They could not find it. So they found one actor who read it exactly the way Brandon read it at the pitch. They were like, it was it was just a one to one. This is exactly what we envisioned. Uh, and this is uh, do you all remember the the. Um, UPS whiteboard ads with the guy, like the long-haired guy, like drawing on the whiteboard and being like, yeah, how do you get your box from here to here? And he was this kind of long-haired-looking mm-hmm. guy. Like, that was the creative director on the ad. And what happened is he, he like, pitched it, and the client fell in love with his presentation style. So all these rounds of casting, they the client was still picturing uh, Andy, the creative, as the... And so in the end, that's him, because they could never find an actor to play that role. Um, so they find somebody who reads it exactly like Brandon did. And they're like, yeah, that's good. That's good. But then they decide, you know, let's keep looking. And in round seven, they find Jack Forever. And Jack does this look that they had, a that, like Ian Ragathol, the creative director, texted me uh, the screenshot later after our interview where he showed me, this is the look. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's this kind of intense stare at the guys like, um, and and it's it is a mixed stare. There's a lot going on. Those pale eyes, just oh my god. Yeah, and he, <laughs> I said, do you mean like he had an intensity? And he's like, yeah, that's a good word for it. We don't know. It was just something about that look. That look was not in the script. It was no one else paused for that. Um, everyone else kind of made it this dancing leprechaun. Jack made it this like quasi unhinged person, <laughs> and he was like, we decided, like they kind of <laughs> like. They gaggled together and were like, uh, "He's he, this this actor's either going to be like make it really funny or ruin it entirely, and we won't know until the day we shoot it." And every single creative involved told me that exact thing that they were all like, "This person is either going to ruin it or make it the funniest <laughs> ad ever." And luckily, in the end, uh, it made it phenomenal. And so, uh, I hope Jack has enjoyed uh, this. You know, this continued, uh, I had. I hate to say relevance because that makes it sound like you're not relevant, uh, but you know what I mean, like this cultural imagery. I, I hope it's been a positive experience for them. I uh, mean, like just to sort of contextualize the insanity of a number like 425 million, because that's the how many streams on TikTok. That's the same amount as like a standard performing BTS video on YouTube. Yeah. So right now, Jack is the BTS of advertising, <laughs> and I am very happy for them. I hope that they are happy with that as well. But yeah, that that type of reach is unheard of, and <laughs> just like in such an orga- like this is such an organic example of something just sort of catching on with a generation and taking off. Right. Um, but four hundred twenty-five million. And for it to happen twice, like twice. <laughs> In somebody's <laughs> lifetime, that is that is well, un, un, unprecedented. I hate that word, but still. <laughs> and thank goodness for Cameo giving a revenue stream for people like this. Mm-hmm. Because here's the other thing that you don't necessarily think about is you don't make money off these organic mm-hmm. remixes. Um, once an ad is out of rotation, is out of paid rotation – your residual checks stop. You don't get money because some weirdo posted your stuff or wrote about it on Adweek or whatever. You don't get any money. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would, I don't know if Jack's making good bank off of, uh, of, I doubt they want to revisit this character in a formal way, but like, I hope Cameo has helped. But I do feel like Cameo has filled a gap that I've personally always felt a little guilty about is that when an ad resurfaces and goes, Nobody makes money off of it. Now, the brands mm-hmm. benefit, right? Like, you can't buy berries and cream anymore, but you can go buy Starburst. And so you, I would not, I would be shocked if Starburst has not seen a sales spike from all this. Um, but that actor's not going to get any checks. Um, right. And so, and, and I can't remember off the top of my head if, if directors get residuals too, but, like, no one's making money off this thing except Starburst. So, good for Jack. Hope the, hope the cameo. So, if you like this ad, maybe go book. I think it's... Real Little Lad or The Little Lad on Cameo. It's easy to find. You can Google it. Um, 
But yeah, so that's well, I appreciate you two uh, kind of going down this this rabbit hole with me. Uh, this is one of the most fun articles I've ever written at Adweek. Uh, again, I love the fact that it's an ad that came out right when I was starting to write about it. But but the other thing too is, and I'll just if you've made it this far into this conversation, you deserve to nerd out uh, a little bit on on really deep advertising history here. But like. There's a bigger lesson in all of this in culture, in leadership, creative culture. Uh, TBWA, uh, Chaya Day, but TBWA as a network in general, was unstoppable in the late 2000s. Um, just unstoppable. They were doing such incredible work, thanks to Jerry Graff, thanks to a lot of these folks. But the, the talent that they had assembled by like 2010 is is now considered like the absolute super team, if you were to have them all in one place, you'd be like, well, we couldn't afford to run this ad agency. It was like Colleen DeCourcy and Rob Schwartz and Craig Allen and uh, and Jerry Graff. And, and uh, I mean, it just keeps going. Eric Coleman, the, who wrote the Skittles spot, went on to write uh, Old Spice, Man Your Man Could Smell Like, is now, I think, maybe the most awarded Can Lion copywriter alive. Um, and Eric's, Eric's not that old. Um they were all in one place at the same time. But leadership, I don't know, polite way to put this, like, wasn't great. Like, the CEO was not uh, beloved and made some decisions that drove away all this talent. I mean, Rob Schwartz stuck, stuck it out with TBWA. He's now still very involved with TBWA New York, which is stellar. Again, they were our global agency of the year uh, maybe two years ago. They continue to be awesome. Um TBWA New York, fantastic organization. So they rebuilt, they got back there. But man, how weird is it to imagine a time where you had all this talent who ended up making Wyden and Kennedy famous. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Craig Allen went to Wyden, uh, Eric Coleman went to Wyden, uh, eventually Colleen DeCourcy went to Wyden. Um, and yeah, the, the Wyden and Kennedy that young creatives know and worship today was TBWA Shy Day New York in the, the late ocean. And it just goes to show if they had just had leadership that really embraced that, you know, that talent and really let them do the things they wanted. I don't know. I wasn't there. I might be speaking out of turn, but I, I certainly have talked to most of these folks and just like, what a weird moment in time that there was this super group, you know, of, of folks. It's, it's a bit like mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin all just happening to be in the same place at the same time to, to form this band. Like, uh, so it got me thinking about this, like looking at the credits of these spots, I was like, damn, Damn, this is like this is a lot of star talent in one place. Holy cow! So, you know, I have to wonder um, a little bit off topic, but I wonder if this moment will usher in kind of a new era of ads, kind of aiming to be remixed. Like, are they going to start taking the TikTok with more like usable clips and standalone characters that could be applied across what is now becoming like one of our you know top cultural ad moments? I think like at least with like the trends that I've noticed anytime something takes off, not there's like a attempt to ride that wave, not like not far behind it. So I would not be shocked if like just some like random mascot comes out of the woodwork with it's like, Hey, remember me? And like with the hopes of like getting that organic engagement and it's, it's, not to, you know, point, paint myself as, like, some sort of psychic here. It's not going to work. <laughs> it never works whenever you try to replicate organic engagement like that. But it's not going to stop brands from trying. I'm just saying, if Stick Stickly isn't on TikTok currently, like, Nickelodeon is missing an opportunity. That's very, that's very true. <laughs> Stick Stickly should, it's technically, like, Gen Z bait. <laughs> I Stickly is a legend. I, I, you know, I think it's interesting that this is a character they never brought back, right? Um, he did make uh, a a, um, a reappearance, didn't he? Or I'm sorry, we're talking about the little lad. Yeah, little lad. Sorry, right? Um, little lad. Like back then, you know, these ads were all one-offs. Uh, you know, the Skittles work and these other ones. Like it was, 
you know, I don't think I, I, I do. I don't know. I didn't ask creatives about this, but my hunch is that they didn't want it to become something you're tired of. Right. Versus, let's say, a character like um, Captain Obvious for Hotels.com. Right. That's one where the intention was to create a character in this most interesting man in the world kind of way of someone you can keep bringing back for your ads over and over and over. Um those aren't the characters I think people really want to like remix and have fun with because it feels a little uh, forced on you. Uh, you know, it's like you're not gonna. I, I don't know. I don't think you're gonna remix like progressive ads um, just because they're. Uh, yeah, I don't know. it's a hard thing, and and you know, Brandon even talked about on that clip we played that like the formula just never repeats. You can find a formula. Uh, in this case, like. I think the creatives felt that they just had lightning in a bottle in this one moment of the right actor for the right role, the right creative team, the right product that just, it's not an ad for Starburst. It's an ad for Starburst berries and cream. Like this ad doesn't work if, if Starburst hadn't randomly created a berries and cream, uh, product, you know? Um, so (laughs) it's like, I feel for them that they're, I, I, I saw a tweet today, um, that, that I've been thinking about since I saw it. Um, and I, I think it was from Derek Walker. And he said, if you create something, an ageless idea, um, then why do you still have to prove yourself as, an, as a more senior creative by pointing out things you've made since then? which I get, like, I'm, I'm probably butchering his argument, but his argument is that, like, people shouldn't be like, yeah, yeah, I know you made that great ad 10 years ago, but what have you made in the last two years? On the one hand, I think that's a common sense question that, like, you shouldn't expect someone to coast <laughs> on work that they made 14 years ago. Um, but on the other hand, I, th- I think it really does get it, like, that you're only going to have so many of these in one career. Uh, I think Eric Coleman is the exception in the sense that he wrote the Skittles ad he wrote, Man Your Man Could Smell Like. He wrote so many other absolute classics uh, that are just, um, you know, beloved ads. But there's only one or two of those in existence. You know, it's like most of us, we would be very lucky to, like, chances are these teams have won, and I know they have, have won countless awards. Jerry Graff has worked on more Super Bowl ads than anyone alive. But how many little ads do you get? I don't know. Lucky to get one. And uh, and then, but I do think it's interesting that sometimes it can be it can overshadow everything else you make after that. But like, but I will end on this point because this is also something I've been thinking about. And if you've made it this far in the show, uh, you might have feelings on this. Little Lad did not win any awards. Mm. Nothing. Um, you know what else hasn't won awards? Uh, Scoop, there it is. Well, you know, that really calls to question the legitimacy of all of us then, because those are two brilliant, brilliant bits of work. Now, in fairness, I, th- I, think, um, I think the little ad would win now. An ad like that, an ad with that kind of creativity would, would actually do quite well on the modern award cycle. Scoop There It Is is almost the opposite, where it's not silly. I mean, it is. It's, a, it's charming. It's charming in a way that ads are kind of afraid to be charming because charming is, is like, um, I don't know, cheesy. But like that ad is so just lovable and delightful. And we talked about this, uh, you know, on a previous episode, but like it is a great ad. It's such a great ad, but you, I don't know. On the award circuit, it has not been a banger, but Moldy Whopper. Moldy Whopper will walk home with everything. And My like career villain origin story is Moldy Whopper. I cannot, I cannot with this anymore. And, it, and it's like, I'm not crapping on the creatives who worked on Moldy Whopper. They're very, very good. Those visuals right. are spectacular. But like, no one's remixing Moldy Whopper. No one's ever going. Mm-hmm. As soon as I saw it, I was like, this is a really cool visual. But like consumers, A, aren't going to get it. B, aren't going to like it. And, mm-hmm. you know, here are two examples with Little Ad and Scoop. There it is of ones that they're great and people love them and they're mm-hmm. probably selling the crap out of like their product, whether it's Starburst or insurance or in now, I don't know, eventually ice cream. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I've just, I've had feelings lately on the award stuff. I think this past year has shown that, that there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's not to say that awards are bad in any way. It's just that there are certain kinds of work that is not going to, uh, went over, but I, I did think that was interesting that the creatives pointed out, yeah, this is the most like one of the most celebrated ads I ever worked on, and it didn't win nothing. Yeah, there's clearly some dissonance between like whose opinion matters 
when it comes to awards. Like, who cares about it? And I don't know, should there be, like, a legacy award for ads <laughs> that, like, come back 10, 15 years later? It's like you should set aside a special category for resurgent ad of the year. <laughs> I will single-handedly mount that award myself if I have to. I absolutely believe that we that should, should exist. Oh, my God. How- the Berries and Cream Award for Best Return. <laughs> the Little Laddies. We'll make, like, a whole oh award show called The Little Laddies. Yes. <laughs> We need to start it. No, it's it's a new Ad Week award show now. It's good. I've decided. Ad Week still needs one more award yeah, to give out. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, the little laddies, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, trademark pending. I uh, just want to let everybody know. Little laddies, <laughs> trademark pending. Um, but yeah, no, that's what we'll, we'll, at the very least, we'll sneak this one into the uh, our top 25 ads of the year. We'll just be like, number 17, um, bus station, 2000. <laughs> <laughs> There, there's this uh, video game podcast I listen to that um, every year when they would have their Game of the Year awards, they would always have a category. If it was like 2019, they would have 2019's 2018 Game of the Year. My God. And it, I, love it. I loved it because it was always like, hey, it sometimes it just takes you a while to find a game. Like, <laughs> And that's totally true because I buy things when they're on sale. <laughs> so I'm always just like, hey, does everyone know this game's actually really good? Everyone's like, yeah, it came out a year and a half ago. I'm like, that's <laughs> new to me. <laughs> Ever heard of Fallout 4? <laughs> Fallout New Vegas. That's that's like the fifteen year old game of the year. Um, all right. Well, Jess Ferris, it is always such a pleasure. Uh, remind us where we can find you on social media. Well, first of all, on the Adweek TikTok channel, go check it out, and on all of our other channels at Adweek. Um, but also find me at Jess Ferris to learn about etymology on TikTok and on Twitter. That's right. And Shannon Miller, always a pleasure. Shannon, remind us what's your what's your platform of choice these days? Is it Twitter? Um, yeah, I, I probably should for my, for my own health reconsider, but (laughs) yeah, definitely Twitter, Shannon L. Miller, Shannon L. underscore Miller, um, is the at, if you want to find my random musings and I want to do give, I do want to give a brief shout out to the stovetop pilgrim from the pilgrimisms campaign in 2014, which I think should have received, um, just a cultural blowout and it didn't but those are some of the funniest ads in my existence so we should definitely dedicate a whole episode to like ads we wish it <laughs> let's do it because i've got a list <laughs> i've got i disappoint people like when people ask what's your favorite ad ever and like i do have a few safe answers but most of mine are like no one remembers them and they did not work they were not effective I liked them when I wrote about them seven years ago or whatever. So, yeah, it's we'll bring them back. All right. I'm David Griner for Adweek, and uh, appreciate you listening. It's been a, a super fun episode. Thanks to you both. Our theme music is by home. Uh, this week's episode is produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGibney. Uh, if you've not already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Griner. We'll be back next week. Next week.